Lord, we ask you to bless this evening as we study your word. We thank you for your love and care for us. We ask you to show us what you want us to see through this chapter, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Kings chapter 15. This is kind of an interesting story. It starts out with a quick section on Uzziah, and then it has a whole bunch of crazy people going on, crazy things going on in the kingdom of Israel. And so we have all kinds of different things to look at as we go through this. So starting at verse 1. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Sixteen years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, save that the high places were not removed, and the people sacrificed and the burnt, offering, uh, burnt incense still in the high places." And the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in several ho- in a s- several house. And Jotham, his, the king's son, was over the house judging the people of the land. And the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Azariah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David and Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. All right, so we're looking at this. And in the 27th year of Jeroboam II, Azariah started reigning, whose other name is normally called Uzziah. So most people know him as Uzziah. Uh, that's the name that was used in, uh, uh, in, the, in the prophets for him. And he takes over for his father Amaziah and remember that Amaziah was a good king and it says it says that he was 16 years old when he began to reign yeah. you know so he's very young as well and he's going to reign for 52 years he's one of the longer kings Uzziah is one of the great kings of 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 uh, Judah uh, he's not the greatest but he is one of the great kings things were good during his reign and it says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just like his father did. So the Israel, the Judah gets to have two kings in a row that are good kings. And it says, and this is interesting, verse 4, save the high places were not removed. This seems to be the normal refrain for each one of the kings. None of them gets rid of all of the idol worship. And, you know, this is something that ends up happening. It's very hard in people's lives to get rid of all the idols in their life, all the bad in their life, to try to live correctly. And these kings, they made changes, but they never went all the way. And part of it was probably political and make people happy. I mean, you've got all these people who wanted to worship idols. So if you outlawed all the idols, you might have had a rebellion against you. I don't know why they did it, but over and over, even the greatest of these kings did not get rid of the other temples. And people were always worshiping other gods in the midst of these great kings. And so this is a big deal. And so we start with this preface in the first four chapter uh, verses that this is a good king. Then in verse 5, we have this very interesting statement, the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper. And you kind of... And if you're reading just in 2 Kings, it's like, why would he become a leper? And, you know, he's a good king. And it says, the Lord smote him. So we're going to take a quick trip out of 2 Kings to 2 Chronicles 26. And we're going to see why Uzziah was struck with leprosy. Starting at verse 16. 2 Chronicles 26, 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and and with him 80 priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king. And he said unto them, 
it attaineth not unto Uzziah to burn incense to the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are the consecrated to burn incense and to go into the sanctuary. For you have trespassed, neither shall it be for your own honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, the leprosy even arose upon his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord and beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence, and yea, he himself hastened to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper, and he, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So we have here... In 2 Kings, it just says he became a leper. It doesn't tell us why. It just says he was a good king and he became a leper. <laughs> in 2 Chronicles, it gives us the whole history of what happened. And before this, he had been very successful in battles. He was growing the kingdom. He was getting very strong. And he got proud in his heart and decided that he was going to usurp the priest role and burn incense in the temple. And that was the job of the priest, not the king. And when he would not listen to the priest, God brought judgment on him. And that judgment stayed for the rest of his life. And we don't, it doesn't tell us how old he was when all of this happens. Uh, but he was judged because of usurping authority that was not his. He wasn't the one that they put that, you know, he was grass off the cow. Nope. Oh, that's a good one. That was Nebuchadnezzar. That was, that was the king of, of uh, Babylon. Now, he's, he is doing, you know, he was a great king. He was doing really good until he decided he was going to try to do the priest job. And he loved God. I mean, I'm sure that when he went in, he thought, I'm going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm going to really honor God. I'm going to offer sacrifices myself. And this is something we need to be very careful of in our lives, that we don't try to worship God outside of what he says to do. Because God judges that. And we don't want to usurp authority. And this is something that's very important. Uzziah ends up becoming a leper and lose, technically losing his kingdom. He, wasn't, he was still king, but his son had to do all the ruling because nobody would come and stand before a leper. He couldn't, he couldn't go into the courtrooms. He couldn't, he couldn't stand before the people. And he was said he was separated. He had to live off by himself. And this was a big deal because leprosy in that day was contagious, as it still is, but now we can treat it with high doses of antibiotics. We know there's a bacterial infunction, uh, infection, and they can be able to treat it with high doses of antibiotics. But in that day, it was a contagious disease that when you got it, you were in trouble. And it usually led to the disease itself did not kill you, but the infections that you got because of your rotting flesh would, would, give you, would, would kill you in most cases. So we have this whole process going on. And I just wanted to bring in this because I think it's strange. When you read it in 2 Kings, it sounds very strange. You know, this really good king and God strikes him with leprosy. Uh, well, he got struck because he got proud. And pride goes before the destruction, is according to Proverbs. What was the name of that good king? Uzziah. Azariah in 2 Kings. He has two names. Yes. Yep. Azariah or Uzziah. This, is, this gets confusing because lots of these guys use two different names in many, in all over the place, um, which is why I try to help us as we go through and say this was their other name. All right. So verse 8. In the 38th year of Azariah, the king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign in Israel of Samaria for six months. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam the first, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and smote him before the people and slew him and reigned in his stain, in his stead. 
And the rest of the Acts of Zechariah, behold, are they written? Are they written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? This was the word of the Lord, which spoken to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel unto the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. All right. So Jeroboam II passes away, and his son, Zechariah, and this isn't the prophet Zechariah, it's just somebody named Zechariah, uh, takes over to, to reign in his stead. And he has a really, really long reign, six months. Uh, and he gets killed. But it starts out in verse 9, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, just as his fathers had done, and he did not depart from the sins of Nabat, uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which means golden calf worship at the very least. And so he takes over and he is wicked, an evil king. Now his evil apparently is bad enough that not just God is upset, but the people themselves don't like him. Because it says in verse 10, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and smote him before the people and slew him. So this, you know, I can almost picture who he's in a parade, he's something, he's standing in front of the people in a, in a congregation, in some kind of assembly, and this guy kills him in front of the people, and nobody stands up for the king. Now, if you're that unpopular with your people, there's some problems. And he only got to reign for six months. Now, there's been a long succession of bad kings. Things have been going downhill. Jeroboam was one of the best kings of Israel as far as the nation. He started conquering back territory, uh, but for re religious and righteousness side of things, he was a terrible king. His son comes in, and I don't know if he was inept. I don't know if he was you know, just obnoxious. We don't know anything about him other than this little statement. He got to power, and he was killed. And God saying that he was a bad king. But this is an interesting, interesting uh, place. And this was to be a fulfillment of the prophecy made in 2 Kings 10, verse 30, to Jehu that his children would reign, that his family would reign to the fourth generation. And if you look at the list that we gave you of the kings, this is the fourth generation uh, that's going to be reigning. And this guy gets to, gets to reign only for six months. And that's all we know about this poor guy uh, from the Bible. And I didn't bother looking him up on history because it's six months. He probably didn't have a whole lot of history. Uh, might be interesting to go in and see what kind of king he was and see what kind of history he had and how bad he was to get killed in six months period of time. But I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, verse 13. And Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the ninth a 39th year of Uzziah, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. <laughs> Another really long-lasting king here. For Menahahim, the son of Gadi, went up from Tirzah and came to Samaria and smote Shalom, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria, and slew him and reigned in his stead. And the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy, which he made, behold, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah, of Israel? And Mehaen smote Tifshah and all that were therein and the coast thereof from Tirzah, because they had not opened on him. Therefore he smote it and all the women therein that were with child he ripped up. Nice guy. Nice guy here. Um, Shalom was rain, started reigning, he, he, he murdered uh, Zachariah, and he got to reign a full month before he was murdered. Uh, this is a huge, turbulent time in Israel. They've left the fairly solid reign of Jeroboam, who was increasing their territory, making things good, and now they're going to have three kings in a very short period of time. None of them dynasty kings. They're just, they're all going to be uh, uh, killed. And Menahim came up from Terzah, which is a little town on your map here. 
right under the word, Mana uh, to, the, to the right of Manasseh, it's east of Samaria, the town of Samaria. Um, and it says gone up because there in Dotham and Jezreel is where their kingdom is reigning. So he comes up from Ter Terz Terzah and executes Shalom. Uh, and again, we don't know why he doesn't have anybody really trying to defend him, but this is a turbulent period for Israel. God is bringing judgment on the nation, and they're in for a very, they're toward the end of their reign at this point, and God is letting things happen. There's only going to be three more kings after, after uh, Menahem that are going to reign in Israel before they go into captivity. Well, pretty no, much, no there was no promise of a royal line, so that's pretty much true of any nation, any empire. If you killed the king and you had enough strength to kill the king, you probably would become king. Now, in, in Judah, God had made a promise that David's seed would always sit on the throne. So God protected the kingdom. And the closest time they ever had of somebody not sitting in the throne of David was when Athaliah took, you know, killed the royal line so that she could be ruler, and she was ruler for those first years before they brought the king's son back out. But other than that, you know, this is not abnormal. You know, Egypt had four dynasties over its history where, where somebody would kill the king and set up a new dynasty. So this is not an unusual thing uh, to have happen. Uh, if you look at the Roman Empire, many of those Caesars were not you know, they had the same name Caesar, which just means ruler, but most of them were not related to each other. They were military leaders who rose up and executed other Caesars and took their, took their position. And it's been true all through history that, you know, the kingdoms have been totally turned over by being, having the king assassinated. Which is why people think, well, kings could do whatever they wanted. No, kings had to keep their people somewhat happy Otherwise, too many people would want to kill them. And they needed, they needed the support of their people to keep them in power, or at least the army. And if the army turned against them, they were really in trouble. And that's what happens in a lot of small countries that get overthrown. The army turns against them. And that's just what's happening in, in these things. We don't know that these guys are army members, but I'm sure that they had military backing somewhere along the lines. Uh, and then it says that he, he's going to reign, uh, he, killed, he is killed by Mahanahim, the son who came up from Tirzah, and he did his thing. And then it says in verse 16, and Menahem smote Tipsha and all that were therein, therein. Tipsha is a place toward the northeast limit of Solomon's reign is right up around the Euphrates River. All right, it literally means two two fords. Uh, so somewhere where the Euphrates has a ford up there it was the northeast corner of Solomon's kingdom was at the Euphrates, and Mahanaim goes up there and he attacks uh, Tifsha, and he was a really nice guy in that because they would not surrender to him. He went in, he took it, and destroyed it, and then he said, all the women with children, he cut into pieces. Um, and I'm not sure what his whole point on, on that was, but, you know. Well, when you captured someplace, you took everybody as slaves and servants, and the women actually became, became concubines or wives to the, to the soldiers that uh, would make that conquering on it. But... Uh, I don't know if there's any maps in there that are going to show Tipsha. It was not a huge town. I had to go online and find a picture of it. Uh, but uh, it's right up in the very top portion up by, by the Euphrates. Let me take one quick look here and see. Uh, you'd have to go to Babylon. Yeah, do, 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 do. 
No, none of my maps in my Bible show that part of the world. The Euphrates is the large river that runs from the Persian Gulf all the way up into Turkey. It is the southern border of most of the Babylon Empire. Tipsa. Oh, you got a Bible that shows it. Okay. Okay. So it is far. It. This particular town is way up there. I mean, this is this is talking about how well Ephraim had, uh, uh, Jeroboam the second had increased their land. They're they're up there close to the borders that they're that of the largest borders they ever had. And this man goes up and he attacks that area. Now, this is not as big a deal as it would be later on because Babylon is not a major player yet, but Assyria is rising in power. So this is a, there's conflict up there. Assyria is starting to take power and he takes this city and brutally destroys the people, kills the people, kills all the women that have ever, that had child that, and uh, so there would be no more children from that town and probably conquered and took away all the other women that were there to become concubines and slaves. So this was a very brutal man, which we know he was brutal already. He was willing to kill, willing to kill the king before him, so he was not being very kind. Verse 17, and in the 39th year of Azariah, the king of Judah, did Mahanaham, the son of Gadi, to reign over Israel, and he reigned for 10 years in Samaria. So he gets to reign a little longer than his two predecessors. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and departed not from the, in all of his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. And Pul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahan gave Pul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to confirm the kingdom in his hand. And Mahanaham exacted the money of Israel, even all the mighty men of wealth, and each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and stayed not there in the land. All right. This is another guy who's really nice. Uh, He's starting to get his kingdom put together. He's going to reign for 10 years. He's doing evil. They're following after the idols, just as everybody else did in the, in the southern kingdom, in the northern kingdom, excuse me. And Pul, the king of Assyria, came against him. Assyria right now is the up-and-coming empire. It's going to create an empire that takes most of the northern part of the Middle East by the time it gets established. And... It will take parts of what will later become Babylon. It will go way down into the southern kingdom. It will not, God will not let them take, take uh, the southern kingdom. And they move real close to, to uh, Egypt. Egypt's still a player, but Egypt is way past its heyday. It's no longer a major player. It's in its fourth or fifth dynasty. It's, it's just a, it's a strong country, but not, it's no longer an, an empire. Assyria is now going to be the next big empire that's going to be formed. And this is the first foray of the Syrian empire. Pul goes down to, his plan is to conquer uh, Samaria. And Mahinahem decides he's not strong enough to be able to fight him, so he decides he's going to try to buy off the enemy. And it works. He gives him a thousand talents of silver. That is approximately 125,000 pounds of silver. In today's money, we're talking about $47,000. That's a pretty fair bribe back then. Uh, most of my books say it was about 20, 000, uh, 20 million, but that was based on the 
the actual legitimate prices of silver. But still, up in the, the two to two to twenty million dollar you know point is a lot of lot of money, especially back then. He is buying off the aggression. Now I'm not sure that he had that much silver in his possession. Um, apparently the nation did. How does he get it? It says very you know uh, that he exacted the money from his of Israel. Even all the mighty men of wealth, each man gave him 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So he gave a pretty big tax. He's going to say, We're going, I don't want to fight, so now you guys don't want to fight, now you're going to give me your silver so that we don't all have to fight. Now one thing about trying to buy off your enemy is sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you give them all your, all your money and they still attack you. This particular case, it worked. He goes and he leaves them alone for a while, at least for three more kings. Uh, and so Mahanaham buys their, buys their free time, <laughs> their, their, their peace, and gets a chance to be able to build his kingdom a little bit. He does it, though, by raising taxes. And, you know, we always kind of think, you know, taxes, people usually think taxes are something new. Taxes have always been there. Taxes have been high. One of Solomon's big problems that he had was because he was doing so much building and, and, and military campaigns and all of that, that he was taxing the people. And remember, that's what got his son Rehoboam in trouble when the people went to him and said, now, your father has really had high taxes. Would you be nice and reduce our taxes? And he said no. <laughs> and he lost 10, 10 tribes because of his desire not to be nice to his people. And so here is a dangerous point for Mahanaham because he's having to tax. Now, he wasn't ready to fight Syria. If he had fought Syria, he would have lost, most likely. I mean, I can't. We can't guarantee that, but uh, later on they're going to take it, and we do know that they're very, they're growing and, and and gaining power historically. And so he buys their freedom, and it says, and the king of Assyria returned back and stayed stayed not in the land. So even as he is approaching Samaria, when they bought him off, he actually went back. He didn't stay in all the places that he had conquered. This is a very unusual thing. This had to have been a God thing to be able to have him relinquish his land, uh, relinquish the land that he had conquered, because he could be sitting on their door saying, well, as long as you guys behave, I'm going to be okay. But as soon as you don't behave, here I am on your, on your border. But he pulled back with this statement. Once, well, yeah, at this, at this point there was a border, but Babylon is not a major player at this point. They are very small. They're, they're kind of like they're considered barbarians, you know, provincial. They're not a powerhouse at all. One of the other past some point that they were invading, so to speak. Yes. And Babylon will come and take over everything that Assyria has in the next in the next kingdom. But Syria became larger and larger and pushed way into Babylon, what will be later become Babylon's territory. And so yes, they are neighbors at this particular point. Yeah. All right. And let's see, verse 21. And the rest of the acts of Mahanaim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Menahem slept with his fathers, and Pekahira, his son, reigned in his stead. Okay. That's how all we end up, end up with uh, Menahem. He kills, he, kills, he kills his former king. He buys peace, reigns for 10 years, and dies. <laughs> Bad king. Uh, you know, this kind of, I don't know how much to say on these. We're going through these verse by verse, but there's not a whole lot to say. Uh, we keep re we keep referencing to a book that we don't have, the kings of the, the chronicles of the kings of Israel. 
23. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Manhanakin, began, began to reign in Israel and Samaria, and he reigned for two years. And, and he did what, that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam the first, the son of Nabat, who made Israel a sin. But Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the captain of his, the captain, a captain of his, conspired against him and smote him in Samaria in the palace of the king's house with Agab and Ariel, and with him 50 men of the Gideonites, and he killed him and reigned in his room. And the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Now, we've commented these guys are having short reigns, and they are having short reigns. And if you were to read, which we're not doing right now, the various prophets that were sent to them, they kept getting told, repent or else, repent or else, turn to God or else. God is getting tired of them not repenting, and he keeps giving multiple kings an opportunity to repent, and they don't. And so God stirs up the hearts of people to come against them, and Satan does it too, and don't, don't get me wrong, Satan is the one that gets to move them into murder, but God lifts his hand up and lets things happen in a mighty, in a very strong way. So we have this son of Mahanadim coming up, it's Pekahiah, He's going to reign for two years. He's doing what's evil. He has the, the golden calf worship and who knows what other worship because the only one we're really talking about is golden calf when they're talking about that. Uh, and it says, Pekah, the, the son of Remela, the captain of his, of, a captain of his. So this, we definitely are told that this is a military man coming against him. Conspires against him and, and killed him in Samaria. In the palace of the king's house, gives a couple other guys, which we don't know anything about, and 50 other men. So he came with enough men to be able to fight. And so, and he killed him, and I love this, and reigned in his room. Yeah, just his room. Um, I, think it, I think it means the entire castle, the entire palace, but literally he took over the same room that he had killed him in, uh, in the same, same suite. Oftentimes, these guys would go create, you know, make their own palace and make it theirs. Is it the Gileanites, the different Gileanites? That was in, Gileanites, those from Gilead. Oh, Gilead. Oh. The, the area, area to, in the northern of Arizona. Uh, northern of Arizona, yes. The northern Arizonans went to, <laughs> went to, went to, went to <laughs> I'm having trouble speaking tonight. Uh, the northern Israelites. <laughs> from Gilead uh, were the ones that revolted against him. This is the one thing that's kind of an interesting thing when we look at it. When people start ruling or taking charge of something and they've done it in a way that uh, is violent or harsh, violence and harshness usually gets resulted from that. And this started all the way back when Jeroboam I took over the kingdom in, in a rebellion against Rehoboam. And all of these things have happened over and over and over again. I've even seen it in the business world. People backstab each other. And you know that it's a bad environment when people are attacking each other to get promoted. Because nobody trusts anybody. And everybody says, well, he got there by, by this. We're going to all try to get there. And we're seeing this same thing happening in these latter part of the kingdom of Israel. There are battles going on. People are saying, well, they're weak. They're, they're easy to take. And they're being, you know, being moved of God and Satan to do so. And don't get me wrong. I mean, God is in control of all this. He knows that Israel is, is evil. They're not repenting. And all of this is going on. And this captain rises up and he attacks them and he reigns in his stead. And, you know, this is, you know, I kill, killed somebody who just got to reign for, for two years. And so these, these children are not getting, getting uh, able to reign. And because of their evilness, they're not repenting of God, to God. And 
they're rejecting God and God's saying, okay, I have had enough. And he is bringing evil against them. This evil on these things is to try to get the people to repent. God's activities on judgment is to try to bring people back to him. And the chaos, can you imagine what the chaos in this country has been? In the period of 13 years, let's say 14, because we've got some six months in there, 14, 15 years, they've had, what was it, four kings? One, two, three, four. They're on their fifth king in 15 years. That is chaotic. To always be in flux every time you turn around. And they don't have the nice, easy transition of power like most democracies do where that's a planned transition and the people have voted for their leaders. These are violent coups happening that are causing problems and they have to reestablish themselves completely from ground zero every time there's that coup. And so this is a chaotic time to be living in Israel. How many bad kings were there? Do you know? Well, in, uh, the southern, in the northern kingdom, all of them. They never had a good king. Never had a good king. So they always had bad kings. Now, now, now bad spiritual. Okay, remember we said Jeroboam II took them to their greatest place that they'd ever been physically. He, he reigned for several years and he, and he was a military genius and they took back territory. But spiritually, they're all bad kings. And I, did, I never counted them, so. Huh? Is there 19? How many good ones out of my 19? None. In the, in the northern kingdom, no good kings at all. Well, they said Jehu was good for a minute. Yeah, well, he started good. He, he, he destroyed the temples of Baal. Yeah, and then he fell. And then stopped. He never got rid of the golden calf worship. So he was the closest thing they had to a good king. He, he knocked out the temples of Baal. Uh, and that was the closest thing the, southern, the northern kingdom ever had to a good king. But God is bringing judgment on them, and they're going to be judged completely here uh, shortly. <laughs> um, I don't think we get it in this chapter. We're going we're gonna to jump back to we're going to jump back to Uzziah's son, and then we'll come back to him. Remember, we go back and forth. All right. Verse uh, 27. And in the 52nd year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Remelah, began to reign over Israel, and he reigned 20 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. Same sentence every single time when they talk, put that in there. In the days of Pekah, the king of Israel, came Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and took Aijan and Abobeth Mahaka and Janoah and Kadesh and Hazer and Gilead and Galilee and all the land of Naphtali and carried them captive into Assyria. And Hosea the son of Elah made a conspiracy against Pekah the son of Remelah and smote him and slew him and reigned in his stead in the 25th year of Jotham the son of Uzziah. And the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of Israel. All right. Pekah reigns, and he's going to reign 20 years. He's, long, he's, long, he's a long reigner in this group of, at this period of time. He did what was evil. And in his day, the king of Assyria, a new king of Assyria, not Paul, <laughs> comes and attacks. And if you look up these various names of these uh, cities, they're all northern cities of Israel. All right? Uh, some of them you may recognize. Some of them you won't recognize. Uh, I looked them all up, and I didn't mark them very well. Ijan is way up in the northern part of our map. You know, it's, a, it's one of the most northern ones. It's above Dan. So technically, it's not even in Israel, because Dan's the northernmost city of Israel. Uh, but at that time, it's in Israel. Uh, Abel Beth Makama was off of our map. Uh, Genoa, I saw that one on our map someplace. 
But then we get down here, Hazer, Gilead and Galilee are all right up there in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. So he's moving down in places that we now know from, from biblical, biblical stories. And he took all the land of Naphtali. All right, that was an entire tribe. So everything up in that area, he took their entire area captive. So this is, this is a, the first stage of the Assyrian assault on the northern kingdom. All right? This is the second to last king of the northern kingdom. And he is starting to lose land. Now, a king who loses land is not a very popular king. The only thing he could have done worse was to raise taxes during this period of time, which he probably did. <laughs> he's losing land, and you know he's not a very popular king. And we get Hosea, the son of Elah, rising up and killing him to take over as king. So, and this Hosea is not the prophet again. We're not <laughs> just a man named by the same name. And he rises up and kills him. And in this case, you almost understand. Uh, we've got a king who's losing territory. We've got to get rid of this king and put somebody else in there who's a better, better military leader. The only problem is they're not going to win against Assyria. Assyria is, at this point, a powerhouse. They are, historically, they are growing all over the place, and they're going to take most of the Middle East and the, up into Turkey and down toward... Uh, Egypt into captivity. The only one they're not going to get is the one that God protects, and that is the southern kingdom of Judah. God protects them, and they do carve bits of, bit, bits of Judah out as well as they go down. So we have now our second to last king being assassinated. Lots of, lots of death in this chapter as people are going out. Verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remelah, king of Israel, began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. Twenty-five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Howbeit... The high places were not removed, and the people sacrificed and burned incense still in the high places, and he built the higher gate of the house of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days the Lord began to send against Judah Rezalin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remelah, and Jotham slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Aza, Ahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. All right. As we tie up this chapter, Jotham becomes king. Now, we know that he had a period of co-regency, and we're not sure on this 16 years whether some of it was co-regency or not. His father, when his father died, he took over, over the full reign. Uh, when his father had leprosy, he was the one that did everything. So he was a co-regent during that period of time. And it says, he did what was right, just as Uzziah had done, but he did not get rid of the high places. That is the refrain over, over and over again. These guys did not get rid of the other worship of God. And unfortunately, this is oftentimes what happens with us in our lives, but also in, in countries. When a country turns to God, it usually doesn't completely turn to God. And this is one of the things that we're seeing in history. We're getting worse and worse because every time you make allowance for sin, it just keeps getting worse. And we've seen this even in our own country, how we make allowances for sin at the, nation, at the national level and all you do is keep sliding down. And even when we do have a revival, it only brings us back so far before we fall back down again. And the first great awakening in America, we had a righteous country. It was a powerful country. You know, people came here and saw God. The second great awakening did have great impact. 
but people still did not turn completely to God. And our other big revivals have not had the impact of either of those two big ones. They've had impact. They've changed. They've, they've brought God's name. They've, made, they've put things into place a little bit, but not completely. I'd love to see another great awakening in this country and turn it around completely. I don't have much hope for a great awakening. All we can do is hope for re pockets of revival across America. And I hope to see pockets of revival across America. Maybe we can see great change. I don't know. But without the change that totally changes the nation back to the God, there's going to be no hope in the long run. Now, King Jotham is a good king. He, he's going to be a good king for Israel, for, for Judah. Verse 36 says, now the rest of his acts and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And again, book we don't necessarily have. We have part of the Chronicles. We do have Chronicles, but those aren't the books that they're talking about because it doesn't list all their acts because if it listed all their acts, we would need an entire, entire encyclopedia just, of the, just about the kings of Israel and Judah. Now somewhere those books existed or exist and they may still exist somewhere. Uh, if they do, they're in somebody's, somebody's museum someplace. Uh, and it says, In those days the Lord began to send against Judah Reslin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remelon. So even though Jotham is a good king, God is starting to get upset with the southern kingdom as well. They are not turning around completely. They're allowing idol worship to go in and turning a blind eye to it. And those things will always bring judgment when, when everything is overlooked. So Syria and the, the kingdom of Israel are starting to harass his borders. All right? He's having problems. He's fighting the whole time. Now, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom were fighting a lot. They, they, were, they were fighting each other frequently. And here uh, we see that uh, Rem, uh, Remla Apeka is having some trouble. So what does he do? He decides to attack his, uh, the southern kingdom because he's being beat up in the northern kingdom. So he's trying to take land in the south. Uh, you know, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Any country, that, any nation that gets into a two-front war is in trouble in the first place. But he decides, well, I'm losing up there. I'm going to go down there. That is unfortunately the way people think all the time. Hitler had a problem. He couldn't take, get, conquer Great Britain. So what did he do? He decided to go fight a two-front war and, and attacked Russia, which was his downfall. He now had a two-front war that he couldn't, well, actually a three-front war because he also had Africa. Uh, so he had three fronts to fight on, and he couldn't handle the battles. Yeah. Pekka is going to decide that he's going to, is going to have to now fight two sides, the strong enemy on the north and a weak enemy on the, on the south, trying to at least get victories. If you're in a, in a battle, in a war, you have to show victories to keep your people happy. If all you get is a string of defeats, people get unhappy, and they stop trying to fight. And... We also have the king of Syria attacking him. And he's going to die, and Ahaz is going to take over as king. So lots happening in here. Not a whole lot to apply personally, other than the fact that sin has consequence. And God is patient. He's patient with these guys. He gives some of them 20 years. He gives people 50 years. He's, he's so patient with people, but yet his patience has limits. And sin will run its course, and eventually people will be judged in, that, in their activity because God will always bring judgment. And we never, as individuals, we never get away with sin. As nations, we do not get away with sins. As, as establishments, as businesses and stuff, they do not get away with sins over long haul. God always brings judgment. And this is what we're seeing in here. A lot of chaos, a lot of death, a lot of, lot of uh, conspiracies and everything going on. But it all is the result 
of unrepented sin. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask you to help us always consider our lives to repent and to, to turn to you so that you can help us be blessed and not condemned. Lord, we pray for our country that our country will enter into repentance to you and turn to you and, and not go through the consequences that the sins that we're headed toward will accomplish. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.